I have an idea. Let's record a shitty intro. Just strum it. <laughs> This is the Zach and Akash show. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Zach yo, and Akash yo, yo. show. It Welcome. is a... I'm frozen again. Great. Okay. <laughs> it is a very nice Wednesday today. Coming at you live from Connecticut. This is the show where we talk about cultivating the mind. I'm Zach. I'm Akash. Yay. <laughs> So, Akash. Zach is frozen again. Of course I am. That's okay. See, this is all the reason to uh, listen to the audio offline um, till we get better cameras. There are no cameras out. Um, so I'm on I'm on hold until I get one. But, uh, Akash, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about Bitcoin. <coughs> I know it's very exciting. <laughs> oh man uh, Bitcoin that's my mouse Bitcoin and the blockchain this is something that's pretty big in our society today and you hear a lot of people talking about it but no one really knows what it means what it's actually used for except for a few major adopters and uh, to be honest I don't really know what it means either because bitcoin is one of those things where you the more you learn about it and the more you learn about the applications it's the blockchain in general the more confusing it gets you get more questions than answers in my opinion but i'm going to try my best to break it down for you guys today on the wikipedia show hell so, yeah let's get started i told zach to ask me a lot of questions so we can keep everything as clear as possible. And I'm pretty much going to follow the Wikipedia format as it goes. I'll so pull up the article. Yeah, pull it up. That's going to help. I think I'm going to do that every show from now on. Uh, to Dan says two big use cases, drugs and speculations. <laughs> drugs, speculation, and podcasts like these where you can talk about it. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's get started. What is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is what is known as a cryptocurrency, which is a digital asset. It's like digital money. And all your transactions are stored in something called a digital ledger. Um, in this case, we're using blockchain technology to build something like Bitcoin. So in real life, whenever you spend money, your transaction is stored somewhere in something called ledger, which is where people look at what you spent. That's how the government knows what you're spending the money for. And it's how they know what to tax you for, et cetera, et cetera. That's why there's a difference between white money and black money. Black money isn't technically stored in this ledger. It's all done under the table. And that's why anything used in illegal activities generally becomes black money because it's all cash spent under the table without anyone knowing. With Bitcoin, that isn't an issue. Anyone can spend any money. It's all stored in a digital ledger, which is public, but it's kept anonymous or pseudonymous where all the transactions are kept visible, completely public. You can see which address sent money to which address, but there's no real way to link that address with the person unless they want to be linked. I'll get more into that and how that's almost anonymous, but not completely. We'll talk more about that. But uh, one of the biggest things about Bitcoin is there's no central bank or administration. It's what you would call decentralized, which means, let, let me find my bullet points about decentralization. So there's no central authority. No one says what you can use the money for, what you can't. It's your Bitcoin. You can do whatever you want with it. No, you can send money wherever you want. There doesn't have to be a transaction fee. 
we'll talk more about transaction fees in a bit. Uh, there's no central server. So all the code is run, pretty much all the code that maintains the blockchain is run in multiple servers or computers called nodes. There's no central server, no central storage. The ledger is public, so everyone can see every transaction happening to verify that works. Uh, again, no single admin. It's open for everyone. Anyone can start mining Bitcoin. I'll talk a bit about that in a bit. Or anyone can start buying Bitcoin and going into it. Uh, and again, anyone can create an address or that's your, pretty much you can think about that as your bank account in the Bitcoin. And pretty much anyone can send money to anyone. So what the good things about that are, like I said, right now, if I wanted to send money to family in India, I'd have to go through a shit ton of regulations. I'm going to lose a huge percentage of that money to taxes, both in the United States and both in the India, especially if it's a large amount. With Bitcoin, I don't have to lose all that. I can send my money directly to India and they can pretty much use it for whatever they want. We're going to get into issues regarding that in a bit. I just wanted to give you a bit, <laughs> big summary of everything. So let's quickly dive into the history of it. Right? This dude or a group of people named Satoshi Nakamoto, which is just a name given, uh, the group or anonymous person published their paper under the name Satoshi Nakamoto. No one knows who Satoshi really is. Not a real name. And, uh, they released open source code and mined the first block of Bitcoin around 2009. And he sent the first Bitcoin to this guy named Hal Finney, who was creator of a very important algorithm used in the Bitcoin network. Uh, and the first known purchase with Bitcoin, can you guess what that is? The first known purchase for Bitcoin? Fuck, dude, I should know this. I remember reading this part. Um... I don't remember, but I think it was something funny. Yeah, it was two pizzas from Papa John's. Yeah, I knew it was pizza. Fuck, <laughs> dude. I knew it was pizza. I was about to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and then after, that was in 2010. And then Nakamoto also gave control of the Bitcoin network to Gavin and Reason, all the control codes. It was still decentralized, but there were certain control codes. Couldn't get too much into that. And then Andreessen wanted to make it more decentralized and give control to multiple people. And he was the founder of the Bitcoin Foundation as well, which I'm not really going to talk about, but it's an important foundation that maintains Bitcoin. Uh, many black market transactions started happening in 2011 to 2012. These were like the proof of concept transactions where Bitcoin's price was 30 cents. Uh, to put that into perspective, Bitcoin's price right now is around nine thousand mm -hmm. dollars. At its peak, it was around nineteen thousand dollars. So you could have gotten into it at thirty cents in two thousand eleven. Could have been a fucking millionaire. Twenty thirteen to twenty sixteen, the price climbed from about thirteen bucks to seven hundred and seventy bucks. This one, regulations started looking into it too. Banks and the federal forgot their name. Let me, let me see if it's on the article right here. The feds. Yeah, pretty much the feds. They started stepping into it and they wanted to put some regulation on it. But the whole point of this was to get away from regulation. So Bitcoin enthusiasts weren't too happy about it. But still, they're not, since it's code running on the open market, they're not completely able to regulate Bitcoin. They're only able to regulate businesses who try to accept Bitcoin or coin exchanges where you're able to spend your U.S. dollars to get Bitcoin back. Again, more on that later. And then 27 to 2019, Bitcoin went up. This one, Bitcoin really became popular among the general public. It price rose all the way to 19k um that yeah this one huge plus started coming around everyone was like oh man i'm into bitcoin it's great for an investment all that eventually of course it was a bubble it came crashing down all the prices bitcoin is still running 
And but because of that, a lot of people got into blockchain. So Bitcoin is a blockchain. A lot of people get confused on that. Blockchain is a technology that Bitcoin was built on top of as a proof of concept or first there's a, uh, I guess, money on the blockchain. A cryptocurrency was the first example. Since then, there's been many other alternate coins and such. Uh, Litecoin started in around 2011, 2012. I forget exactly when. There's something called Ethereum, which is a cool cool technology on the blockchain because it allows you to code something called smart contracts so it allows you to code your own applications on the blockchain i'm not going to really get into that today i just want to give you guys an idea of how bitcoin itself works mm-hmm. and with an idea of that you can pretty much understand how every other alternate coin works ethereum it gets a bit more dicey and other interesting blockchains like that it really gets into coding different things and cool new technologies, which we don't need to worry about today. Today, we're just going to talk about basics of Bitcoin so and let's, how that works. Let's real quick summarize um, everything that's been said. So from my understanding, a Bitcoin, you, I guess you could think of it like a commodity. Like you buy it like a stock. Um, yeah, you buy it like a stock. If you want to make transactions, it's all on a public ledger. Um, somewhere we can all look at it, but it's it's semi anonymous. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it just like avoids a bunch of unnecessary regulations. Yeah, it's anonymous because you can see all the transactions from which address to which address it's going to, but you cannot really link the address with the person directly. At least how not how it's coded. We'll see soon how people start to do that. Okay. Yep. And again, we don't know who exactly the creator of Bitcoin is. It's Satoshi Nakamoto, but that's a fake name. All right. Are you Satoshi? Dude. <laughs> I created the Bitcoin when I was 10. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Let's see, let me... So I have this written down in... Wikipedia's way, but I'm trying to figure out the best way to order this. Mm. All right, let, let's just go in that way. And again, so that I can ask any questions if it ever gets confused. So you're following uh, Wikipedia's structure? Yeah. Okay, okay. So we're going to talk about design right now. So uh, one Bitcoin is the unit for Bitcoin. And remember, you have to shift your perspective. Don't keep mapping Bitcoin to the U.S. dollar in your head. You have to shift your perspective to view Bitcoin as its own money. So there's one Bitcoin. There's also one Satoshi, which is 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. Uh, Those are the two main units. There's also milli-Bitcoins or just like just like how you can do a millimeter or something like that. You can break down Bitcoin, but the main terms used are one Bitcoin and one Satoshi. So you should think of it like gold or silver instead of like... No, legit, think about it like a dollar. Like a dollar, yeah, okay. Yeah, think about it as a dollar and a penny. A dollar and a penny, so it's just like a money. Yeah, just money. Okay. Because that's (laughs) what it is, it's money. But it's digital. There's no physical money. Which honestly, if you think about it, that's how a regular money is anyway. Most of it is digital. Yeah. Some of it is on paper. And okay, Bitcoin is created on a blockchain, which is a bunch of. So the blockchain runs on a bunch of different computers. These computers are called miners. They're called, or they can also be called nodes in the network. Each node stores its own copy of the Bitcoin public ledger. The ledger, again, is where all the transactions are stored. So I'm going to get into blockchain in a bit. But again, there's also things called transaction fees, which are optional. But so there are things in the blockchain called miners, which pretty much, let's call these miners, let's think about them as computers that help the whole network run and function, right? And you want to, if you're helping the network run and function, 
you want to be rewarded for it because you're using mm -hmm. computational power and electricity. So you can get transaction fees, but transaction fees are technically optional. Uh, you can choose to give a transaction fee if you want. And miners, what they do is they can prioritize transactions with higher transaction fees because they want to get the most bang for their buck. Okay. So that's incentive to mine. There's also further incentives. So let's talk about the ownership of Bitcoin, how you own Bitcoin, right? So when you get into the Bitcoin space, there's something called an address. You have an address. Each Bitcoin is mapped to a certain address. This is a public address. Anyone can see this address. This is the address that's stored on the public ledger whenever you make a transaction. A Bitcoin is again stored to your address. Now this address has two parts. There's technically a public address and a private address. If you have the private address, you can instantly generate the public address through a mathematical equation. But the reverse is not possible with technology we have today. It's gonna, it's computationally not feasible. It's gonna take forever. That's why it's really hard to hack into someone's address or find it because they're literally not billions or trillions, but a shit ton of possible private addresses. So you don't know which ones exist and which ones don't exist. And it's hard to brute force it in that sense. And with the public address, it's pretty much impossible to calculate the private address. Real quick, what so, does the address do for the non-computer right. people? So you can think about this address kind of like your bank account or credit card, right? When I want to send, say I'm sending Zach a Bitcoin, I can send it to his public address. But for the transaction to be valid, I need to sign it with my private address. Okay, gotcha. So we can yep. think of it like in Venmo, everyone can see your Venmo account, right? Everyone can send right. you something. You need to confirm it. That'd be your private we think of it that way, right? Right. It's kind of like the confirm button. Okay. Yeah. Or it's it's almost like it's your routing number. Your pin pin to yeah to access your bank account. Okay. It's more the private address. It's your pin to access the bank account. But yeah, think about it in a Venmo perspective. All the profiles are the public addresses, and you clicking pay confirm payment is you signing it with your private address. Now, the private address is really important because if someone has your private address, they have access to all your Bitcoin and they can do whatever they want. With it. You can just sell so it. you want to keep that stored away and make sure no one else can find it. So that's key. Uh, let's see what I got here. Yeah. If private, also, if, you're, if you lose your private address, tough luck. You're not going to be able to find <laughs> You're not going to have access to any of your Bitcoin. As a matter of fact, in 2013, this guy lost his hard drive with all his private addresses. He lost $7.5 million in Bitcoin. That's... I think it was around 7,000 Bitcoin at the time. That's an L. Okay, so yeah. one thing I'm confused about. Okay, so if, sure. if you go on Robinhood, go you can buy Bitcoin. I... I have four dollars worth of Bitcoin, which is like stupid. It doesn't. I just want to see what happened. Uh -huh. What's my private address then? Because I don't know it. I could just sell it. Is, does Robinhood own them all, and then just? So, pretty much, Robinhood is maintaining your private address. There should be. A, I gotta look into Robinhood. There should be a way where you should be able to get your own private address, but yeah, something like Robinhood, they probably manage your private address for you but you just have Bitcoin. Now that's where it gets dicey with the privacy of it, right? So you know how I originally mentioned your public address is pretty much anonymous kept away from you? With exchanges like Robinhood or Coinbase, the government regulation steps in and they're like, okay, if someone's exchanging the US dollar for Bitcoin, you have to give us their information. And they can use that to link you to their your public address, so your transactions can be completely anonymous. Interesting. Another thing too, yeah. though, by using Robinhood, I think for Bitcoin, it's not like 
we're not using Bitcoin as it's intended. It's become like speculation just to like Exactly. Like no one I don't think anyone buys shit with Bitcoin in like the yeah. way it was made. It, it's almost become like a stock. Mm-hmm. Which is an issue. So let's So come back to that. Oh later. also one more one more thing. Twenty percent of Bitcoin is considered lost just from people losing their private addresses. So it's just all gone. <laughs> That's the issue with Bitcoin. If you lose it, there's never getting it back. And it's built in a way where there's only, you can only ever access a certain amount of Bitcoin and there's no more. So there is a possibility that in the long run, I guess you could lose all the Bitcoin. But Just like reset, know. reset or start over. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. Talking about the, let's talk about the stock before we get too deeply into the blockchain. Right. People often want to find out how Bitcoin is valued. All right. Yeah. Uh, how Bitcoin is valued. Again, that's why you need to shift your perspective. The way it's intended, Bitcoin is its own money. One Bitcoin is valued at one Bitcoin. The people, and it's like regular money. How is, why does money have value? because people are willing to spend it. You know that if you have some money and you give a certain amount of money to someone, you'll get some coffee beans or you'll get a water bottle or you'll get a cell phone, a certain amount of money. Bitcoin is same thing. Prices are set based on supply and demand. Eventually, maybe a phone will be will cost one Bitcoin or that's way too much. Or maybe a phone's gonna cost an eighth of Bitcoin. So think about it as own money. But with things like Robinhood and Coinbase, it's almost become like a stock. So Robinhood and Coinbase are called exchanges, which give you Bitcoin for your US dollars. Which, so here are the ways of getting into Bitcoin, right? You can either, you know those miners I was talking about earlier, the guys helping run the network, not only do they get transaction fees, but they also have a chance of getting Bitcoin for mining. Yep. So that that's one way to get Bitcoin. Let me see where I wrote down all the ways you can get Bitcoin. I think for these, I got to start writing down the order I want to talk in. <laughs> But that's a major way to get new Bitcoin through that. Yeah, to mine it. That's how you unlock new Bitcoin from the blockchain network that's running Bitcoin. And another way is, again, for good or service, someone pays you with Bitcoin, like money. Someone mows your lawn, maybe you pay them with Bitcoin. You buy a phone, you pay them with Bitcoin, something like that. And the other person, they get a Bitcoin. Another way to do it is I can just give you my private address, like a gift. I can give you a Bitcoin or I can transact it to you as a gift. So those are the only real ways to get Bitcoin as the network is intended. Just how you give real money, right? It's either transferred or you make money for working, et cetera, et cetera. But people are starting like exchanges are starting to attach a monetary value to Bitcoin so that you can trade in money to get Bitcoin, which is just making it easier for the general public. People who have access to all this money, but not Bitcoin to get into it without becoming a miner or without getting gifted it. Mm. Now this price, it's not really a price controlled by the blockchain or anything. It's economics. It's controlled by supply and demand. Just like the stock market, if you know how stocks work. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is valued at how much the majority of the population is willing to pay for it. So if there's higher demand, the price is going to go up. If there's lower demand, the price is going to go down. Now, Bitcoin is built in a way where, like I said, there's an absolute cap of Bitcoin. I think it's around 21 million Bitcoin that you can get and there will be no more. So this creates some form of scarcity, meaning after one point, 
there's only a finite amount of the reserves. So after one point, the price is going to keep going up and up because there is no, I guess there's no inflation from Bitcoin after a certain point. It gets capped out. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens when they run out? Is That's it just, it. It's still, just transaction fees? Be, yeah, the miners are only going to get transaction fees. They won't get any more Bitcoin. That's coming up soon, right? Isn't it like so, a half okay. every year or something? Yeah, it happens around every four years, but I think okay, it's actually about every 210,000 blocks or something like that. Let's see where I got that. I remember reading that in the article a while back to run it out. Yeah, every 210,000 blocks, the reward, so the reward is pretty much the amount of Bitcoin you get from mining a block becomes halved which just happened a few days back actually it was a big halving so a lot of people were hyped about the halving happening and you might have seen bitcoin prices go up because of that too so the things like exchanges people always ask how bitcoin is valued and like i said it's about how much people are willing to pay for it when you buy bitcoin from something like a coin exchange you pretty much say you can, you can, like a stock, you can either put in a market order, which is give me one Bitcoin at the best price, the market price, or they can put in a limit order, which is I want to buy one Bitcoin at this exact price. And they just, the exchange tries to find someone willing to sell at that price. And you pretty much average what most of these transactions, what price they're being made at, and you get the market value for Bitcoin, which goes up and down. Again, very similar to the stock market. And this coin exchanges are another, another big issue around them is remember how it's talking about how Bitcoin is decentralized. With coin exchanges, it becomes somewhat centralized because they have to set up stores of Bitcoin. So they always have Bitcoin to send and receive. So they know who's trading. Yeah, they know who's trading. That, that's an issue. And also... With those people, Bitcoin is being traded from money to Bitcoin. So it's all being done on regular servers, on centralized servers. So those are much easier to hack into. So if you want to find a way to hack into and steal Bitcoin, it would be from an exchange because it's hard to hack the Bitcoin network itself, the blockchain that it runs on. And yeah, so pretty much think about Bitcoin in this sense as a stock when you're actually trading it for money. But ideally it's more of a income source or not income source than an actual piece of money, like a piece of paper or something like that. You know, that you just give for an exchange of a good or service. Damn. See, that's the issue though, is it's like, like I said before, it's not being used how it was intended. It wasn't supposed to be a stock. It yeah. was supposed to be like a it's better. Not supposed to be an investment. It was just supposed to be a better currency. Um, yep. But it did happen, or I don't know. It's early. It's only been like a decade or so, right? A couple. Yeah. Now here's some issues with the currency too, right? Since Bitcoin is completely not completely, but pretty much anonymous. If you want it to be anonymous, a lot of illegal activity can happen with it. Yeah, so one so issue crude. with it that gets people afraid about it is a lot of things like sex trafficking mm-hmm. or drugs. And the black market store called Silk Road, a lot of transactions are done using Bitcoin so that people can't find out about it. So definitely negative use cases. The positive use case for the general audience is there's no one controlling your money. You, you get to use it how you want. There's no big authority, big brother watching over and telling you what you can do and what you can't do with your money and think about it no taxes on that you know you got your little transaction fees which is much lower it's like 0.03 percent or something you can set it to whatever you want but no taxes think about that which is bad from a government perspective and running a country perspective but from a utility perspective from person to person it's great 
You don't have to worry about that. You know, I have a feeling Bitcoin, like Satoshi, was like a criminal organization. Like it was made. Could be, dude. I have a feeling it was made for illegal activity. Uh, I don't know, though. Because a lot of people who create the tech, or at least the technology, a lot of what was created was created with the proper mindset of a decentralized economy. I guess. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I don't think he did it for a strictly criminal purpose, but I don't know if they necessarily. I think it's more they knew it's an impossibility and they didn't care more than anything. But why are they anonymous? No, no, no. Because I think the originally, if people found out who he was, they could have him shut it down. Because, again, the government doesn't like this. Interesting. It's yeah. very, like, sci-fi, you know? Like, don't you get that, like, sci-fi vibe from all this shit? Oh, a little bit. A it's little bit. Like... But I think that's also because it's been put in that lens quite a bit. It's just so weird. But it is very sci-fi in that it could get to a point where you can just transfer Bitcoin by, like, touching something with your finger. You know, all you need is a little chip on you. I guess you could do that with regular money, too. But it's not just that. Since it's a digital currency, it's very cool because... You can break it down into Satoshi or even smaller. So you can break down Bitcoin as small as you want. So you can make microtransactions, which is really cool. Because say, say there's something like a stream of data, right? Uh, your company is collecting data and they're streaming it to another company. Instead of paying for data as a bulk, you can pretty much pay for the data for each second of data. You can pay for it by bytes per second or something. You can make all these minuscule transactions you could do before, and they all happen about every 10 minutes ish. It's when so Bitcoin it does take a while. An issue with it is it's slow. It's slow. Every 10 minutes, a block is mined. I'm going to get into that, but it might not necessarily be a block of your transaction since there's so many transactions happening at the same time. So it's going to be a bit before your your the block with your transactions mined. So that's one of the issues with it. Got seven Bitcoin keys right here. Seven Bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> I found yeah, them. <laughs> so the Winklevoss twins, which are oh, big because they were involved in founding Facebook and all, they were huge supporters of Bitcoin from the beginning. They have millions in Bitcoin, right? Really? And what they do is they store, they print out all their addresses on a piece of paper and digitally, all occurrences of it is completely wiped out. So it's just on a piece of paper. They print out multiple copies of it. What they do is cut each address into different pieces, put them in envelopes, and store them in different places across the country or actually across the world. So even if one envelope was found, they wouldn't be able to get their Bitcoin. And they'd still have access to it because they have multiple copies. Dude, what the fuck is this modern treasure hunt? <laughs> yeah dude it's crazy. <laughs> it's like 200 years These guys are they're like, like they we're gonna find them. it's like 300 years later it's like post-apocalyptic and you're like all right the only currency that people take now is bitcoin but we know the winklevosses have distributed different pieces of these fucking bitcoins around the country <laughs> and you got to go hunt for them national treasure because <laughs> even if you do hunt for them dude think about it they have a shit ton of private addresses probably yeah and Stored in, so it's pretty much storing your money in multiple different bank accounts. So if any one got hacked, you'll still have access to all your others. And also, these addresses have been snipped into four or five different pieces of paper, too. So any two envelopes, you don't know which one goes with which. They probably have some secret way of figuring it out. Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool. I did yeah. not know that. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, yeah, that's cool. So, all right. We're going to talk about the blockchain now. It's, uh, it's about to get a bit... It's going to get a bit difficult, but stick with me here. Okay, right. I'm ready. Bitcoin is built on a blockchain. Bitcoin itself is not the blockchain. The blockchain is technology. Here's how it works. So we'll start with something called your address. You, we talked about your public and private address. Pretty much your private address can be used to generate your public address. 
your public address cannot be used for your private address, all right? So the blockchain is each time you do a bunch of transactions, the transactions are put into a block. Yeah, not just your transactions, but a bunch can be grouped into a block, but for the sake of this explanation, we'll just pretend it's one transaction per block. Okay. Your transaction includes your public address, the public address of the person you're sending it to, the amount that is being sent, the date or something like that, this key called a nonce, which is going to be important when we're talking about miners. And also, it's going to contain the address to the previous block. Okay. That's that's why it's a blockchain. The blocks are chained together with their previous block. And the address of the previous block, it's called a hash, each block. So all this information I said, all the transaction information is used to generate this key called a hash. And this hash is this cryptographic thing where you know a bunch of inputs lead to one output. But any input, even a slight change, like you remove say one number in the transaction, you move the decimal point by one place, the hash becomes completely different and it completely changes. And not only is the hash for a block generated based on the transaction info, it's also generated using the hash of a previous block. Okay. That way, if the previous block changes and the hash of that changes, now it doesn't work out. Now, Zach, go to blockchaindemo.io. Well, it's easier to show you guys how it works. Now, this, so that's, think about that. It's just a blockchain, right? We haven't even gotten into all the nodes or anything yet. This is just how the blockchain itself works. The importance of this, again, is to make sure that no one can change the transaction information and get away with it. Can everybody see this in chat? I'll zoom in. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck, X. <gasps> Oh, I thought I stopped the recording. All right, yeah, it's it's visible. I have an idea. Let's oh, record shit. a shitty. I pressed right, the, so I pressed the I... plus button. I'm afraid. Oh, I'll fix it later if I broke it. Okay. Yeah, just add a new block. All right. Type in whatever you want. And we're add gonna a new block. we're gonna buy drugs. Drugs. <laughs> oh, dude, it's gone. What's gone? It's it's showing our faces again. I know, no, it'll go back. I accidentally clicked plus. Oh, okay. Fuck. I might have botched the recording. <laughs> Let me double check. Keep keep going. Keep going. Okay. Are you... You want to check that first? Or? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do what you tell me to do. I can bolt detect. All right. Yeah, add a couple blocks. So as you guys can see, each block has that hash keyword and each other block has a previous hash relating to the hash of the block before it. Again, the Genesis block is pretty much block zero, the first block ever. I think and I fucked up. Restart. The recording? No, I fucked up the blockchain. What did you do? Let me restart. Okay, okay. First block is drugs. Okay, that's the... Okay, we got drugs. Second block is pizza. Okay, now we have drugs and pizza. All right, you have drugs and pizza, right? Now, go back to the first one and just remove the explanation point in the Genesis block. And you saw red. how everything became it red? It became red. Yeah, because if you notice all the hashes... They're all different now. Put the exclamation point back. It should go green again. You notice all the hashes change. So if the hashes ever change, even slightly, so if any block is changed, you know that something's broken and that you shouldn't follow the, the ledger anymore. You know the public ledger I talked to you guys about? That's what the blockchain is. The blockchain, the chain of blocks is the ledger. Now, break it again, but take the explanation point back out. Now you'll see that to fix everything again, you got to press the wrench button. In order from the Genesis block all the way to the other block. So the earlier the block you break, the more you have to fix all the other blocks as a hacker, let's say, 
to keep all those transactions intact. Now this blockchain has like millions of blocks. So think about having to do that. So one way to get around that would be to just modify the top block, you know, the mm. highest block. So you don't have to maintain a bunch of blocks, but here's where the network comes. Do in. you mean block two or Genesis block? Block two. Okay. So block so the two. block at the end of the chain, not at the beginning. Oh, so it's like a, it's like a, it's more of like a, it's like a stack almost. Like a linked list. Okay. Whatever. We won't get into that. But. Yeah. It's a stack of pancakes. Pretty much. Yeah. And you want the, if you modify the bottom, you have to modify all the other pancakes. So you want to modify <laughs> the pancake at the top. But okay. Again, this blockchain, as I talked about, is stored on a bunch of different nodes or computers, which is what the miners are. They're the computers the blockchain is stored on. So each time a transaction happens, all these miners, I'm not going to get into exactly how it works, but pretty much all these miners have to verify the transaction. And all these miners have the blockchain stored in their own computer. How much is, so how, even, how, wait, how big is the blockchain? Like, like Bitcoin's public ledger. How big is that? Well, the blockchain itself is just a few gigabytes, okay. but it's copied and stored in many different computers. And yeah. I don't know how many miners there are. So watch, since these, okay. this blockchain is stored in all these miners' computers, you can't just change it in one computer when you're, hack, when you're a hacker. You have to change it in all these computers. Now, for a valid transaction, the, these computers do this mathematical equation to figure out that everything's valid and everything works, and they pretty much send it to all these other computers and verify it, but for an invalid transaction, you have to manually change it in all these computers, or you need to change it, not in all of them, but the majority of the computers. And that's what people refer to as the 51% attack on the blockchain, where pretty much 51% is gonna be majority of the computers. And if you change it in majority of the computers, then they're gonna be the overpowering force telling the minority that this is the right version of the blockchain and oh okay it's gonna yeah so that was the minority it's was... gonna adopt the majority that was why they did that on silicon valley they're explaining the blockchain yeah 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 Jesus yeah Christ. <laughs> okay but that that's the whole reason why the blockchain spread apart so no one can ever reach 51 percent. but there were issues where at one point we find out that china had 70 percent of the network oh a certain company so there's also things called mining pools. It's very computationally intensive for one computer to mine a blockchain. So what a lot of people do is they pool up a bunch of servers and they pretty much all these servers work together to find the to find to mine the blockchain and the reward is split apart between everyone in the mining pool. So one mining pool at one point got to the 50% mark too. And this mining pool was good, so they capped themselves at 40% and they went low. But as you can see, it is possible for certain people to get to 50%. Oh. If, you're, if you're really rich, you can probably get to 51% and start making shit go down. Holy fuck, dude. That's crazy. So it's like you could have... Yeah, it's pretty much a hostile takeover, but... Yeah, yeah. That's why you want a lot of different people on the network working individually. So there's no 51%. And now another issue with this too is if you if you involve quantum computing, right? So all the blockchains based on present-day cryptography, which is really good against blocking against current computers, but things like quantum computers are supposed to be able to solve some of these problems much, much faster. Oh. So people, so we still need to figure something out for that. But that's any security in general these days. Once quantum computing is introduced, we're going to need to create a whole new scheme of cryptography. So very interesting field to get into in this day. That's but, dangerous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So once that's involved, a lot of this can be tough to maintain. But 
I'm not going to get too much into the cryptography of it, but pretty much that's a 51% attack. Holy shit. So, so far, blockchain is this chain of blocks, a chain of transactions. It's your ledger, and it's stored in all these different nodes. And all these different nodes, as a reward for storing it, get blood, get Bitcoin and get transaction fees for mining it. So that's pretty much what the blockchain is. And that's why it's so, it's so important. That's why it's so secure. It's because all these different nodes are working to maintain it and they're working to verify it. Wow. Okay. That's a lot, but I think mm -hmm. we didn't go too crazy. So I think it was explained good. So you can think of... Um... Hopefully not. And maybe listen to it a couple more times if it's confusing. Because I know <laughs> in the beginning... It took me learning about this like five different times over the course of two years before I finally somewhat understood how everything worked together. Holy fuck. I'm trying to make like an example in my head that's like on paper. Um, like think of like a physical representation. Better than pancakes. But uh, let's, let's, uh, all right, but let's I don't think I'm going to come up like with it on the right? spot. So, okay. I have this sticky note right here. Oh, oh. Right. Wait, let me get mine. Hold up. I got mine. I got mine right here. Tell me All what right. to do. <laughs> All right, okay. Sure. We'll, we'll, make right. A, we'll make a blockchain. <laughs> I don't really know if uh, you having sticky notes plays a part in this, but we'll pretend it does. <laughs> no, I'll be the, I'll be the right. ledger on my side. We'll both be miners. Sure, okay. So each block right here, we'll say this is the original block down here. Now, there's been a bunch of blocks. Each of these is a set of transactions and we had a bunch of transactions added to it. This is the blockchain right here. Oh, I have it. And assume that if I change the green sticky note, if I change the green ones, the white one is gonna change and if I change the white one, the pink one's going to change, right? Each mm -hmm. sticky note is going to affect the sticky note on top of it. So right now, only I have this blockchain, so I could do whatever I want with it. I could, I have infinite time, so I can change all the sticky notes, and it works. Now I have infinite Bitcoin or something like that. But before I get into that, Zach joins the network, Fuck joins yeah. the blockchain network. So a copy of these sticky notes gets sent to Zach. It's right Zach here. Zach shows your sticky note. Yeah, right here. <laughs> Zach actually now has two sticky notes. He made two notes to join the network. Two stacks of sticky notes. Yeah, Hold up two stacks, right not two, two notes. Yeah, two stacks. Yeah, there you go. Two stacks. Two stacks yeah. of sticky notes. Pretend they're the same size. Yeah, they're the All same right? size. Use your imagination. So now, if I have to change it, I have to change not only mine, but I also find a way to hack into Zach's sticky notes and change his sticky notes too. So these are mine. For everything to make sense. So I made these. This is like, the, this is what you have. But you also have, you're going to get these because I'm making a transaction, right? Dude, you're confusing people, so I don't want you to get this goddamn <laughs> Okay, okay, keep going. I'll, I'll just, I'll do what you do. No, just put, put it down. I'm just going to do it on my end. Fucking shit. See, that's why it's complicated We're gonna... when you have multiple yeah, yeah, all right. God, dude, stop talking. <laughs> Please stop. Okay, continue. Oh, God. I got the sticky note. This is the blockchain right here. Pretend this is a set of sticky notes. These may look different, but they're the same set of sticky notes, all right? So two sets of sticky notes. If I just had this, it's easy for me to change it. But now that someone else has this, I have to find a way to hack into it and change that. Now pretend there are millions of these sticky notes. So if I want to make one change, I have to change it in a million sticky notes. That's why it's really hard to hack into the blockchain. All right, and if I want to make a new transaction, I add it on here, add and all the other million sources verify that it works. And then they and gotta add this theirs. one. Also, mad, yeah, this one also magically gets one added onto it. It all gets copied 
and they make sure everything stays the same throughout the network. Wow. Yeah, exactly. I got I got a cautious on mine. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I can see it. I'm a hacker. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's pretty much without getting too too complex. There's a lot of mathematical equations and the cryptography of it is really interesting, which I wrote down. I wanted to talk about it today, but the more I talk about it, the more I realize it's getting more complex. Yeah, that might be another when I video. <laughs> talk about it than it was in my head. But guys, for your conversation purpose, conversational purposes, right? Bitcoin is just money. It's money that's stored on something called a blockchain, which is where all the transactions are stored. And it's stored, the, a copy of it is stored across millions of networks or millions of computers. So it's really hard to hack into it. And the way the, the way the blockchain is made, it's very secure. So it's really hard for people to hack into it. And also that's a huge part of it. It's decentralized, meaning instead of all of this being stored on one node, it's stored on millions of nodes or millions of computers, which like I said, makes it really hard for it to be hacked into, but also that means the only thing controlling the rules of the blockchain is the original code written before that's running on all these computers, different copies of that code. So no one else can change it. There's no other authority. So you have full control of whatever Bitcoin you have. Where it gets dicey is when people start exchanging Bitcoin for US dollars. That's when pretty much any regulation can step in and say, put rules on it when transferring the US dollar because they have control over that. So when transferring US dollar to Bitcoin in a coin exchange, that's when regulation can step over it. That's when some of this decentralization goes away. And you really got to start thinking about it in terms of money where you're, you're trading a Bitcoin, you're, you do a job, you get paid in Bitcoin. You buy an iPhone, you pay for it in Bitcoin. It's don't think about it in terms of us dollars. And the reason this could be important is because a huge group of people are pushing towards this digital currency for the future because it's more secure because no one else can regulate it and you have full access to it. And some people say with something like Corona happening where there's a huge push digital and there's a, a lot of people say, usually when something big like Corona or war happens, there's a transfer of value, a huge transfer of value where one pretty much value goes from one commodity to another, like during a gold mine, you know, gold became the huge value and a lot of people are investing in gold. They're storing their value in gold. Right now, if you think about it, especially with Corona, right? To deal with it, what did the government do? They printed out a shit ton of money mm -hmm. to pretty much keep the economy stable, which is fine in the short term, but in the long term, it reduces the value of money. For something, and a lot of people, a lot of economists don't like that, but with something like Bitcoin, there's no way to do that because the computer controls the supply. And there's a limited supply of it. So there's no, you can't have any false inflation or anything like that. If pretty much the issue with that though is, so in that case, if you have Bitcoin, right? And if everyone works on Bitcoin, if you're broke, the government can't do anything to help you out, which, which that part sucks. And I got to, get more in touch with the economy of Bitcoin, but there's no bailouts pretty much, which as a, as a collective group of people is good as a currency, that's good, but for individual people's well-being, that might not exactly be good. Um, that gets more into the economics of Bitcoin, but hopefully I didn't confuse all of you too much. Zach, let's do a a quick Q and A on anything you're confused about. Everybody left for the past like five minutes. Um, so let's just summarize, right? Some mystery man or or people created Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is a type of money. And to make the transactions, you use a blockchain, which is basically a shared 
like book among a bunch of other people. Everyone can read the book, but it doesn't say who exactly the Bitcoin is from. Um, every time someone makes a transaction, one of the books got to verify everything. And then they got to send out the page to everybody. So, or like send out the new book or essentially something like that. I'm not sure that you know. which is correct, but yeah. And the issue is that when the, when people start trading us dollars, okay. So you can mine to get Bitcoin, which is basically right. editing the book and like verifying the book for people. Um, you get money or you get, you get Bitcoin from that. Um, but the issue is when you trade us dollars for Bitcoin, it, it kind of defeats the purpose almost or it. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes more like a stock and investment yeah. rather than like a anonymous money. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason it's hard to adapt Bitcoin right now because it is pinned to the U S dollar mm -hmm. and that makes it very volatile the value of Bitcoin itself. You know, like I said before, it was 30 cents and then it went up to 19,000. Just recently went up by a couple thousand dollars. That combined with the delay it takes for each transaction to happen. When I send Zach a Bitcoin for certain services, let's say, he... <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. When I send it, it might be worth a thousand bucks in US dollars. But by the time he gets it, it could either be worth two thousand bucks or, or five hundred bucks. Yeah, or nothing. <laughs> That's why people don't really. It, it's hard to adapt, adopt to it while you're still measuring it based on the U.S. dollar, because its value is changing so much and it's hard to adapt. But if you look at a Bitcoin as a Bitcoin, and trade it like that, then that issue goes away. But then the new issue is, are a lot of people accepting Bitcoin? Uh, you know, for any money to have value, you need to be able to trade it. But if no one, if no big merchants are accepting Bitcoin, then in that sense, it kind of loses its value. So that's a lot of things you need to figure out with Bitcoin. And of course, there's the whole issue with using it for sex trafficking or drugs and all of that. So it's definitely not perfect. And since the advent of Bitcoin, like I said before, a lot of other coins have been created to make it safer there are some coins that are pinned to the value of the us dollar so it's more stable but again pinning it like that i think it still ruins somewhat some of the purpose for it and yeah a lot of the uh, things like ethereum let you make your own coins etc etc it's a it's a huge rabbit hole and you can fall really deep into but wow. soon there's there, there is a change coming and it might not particularly be Bitcoin, it could be some other network, some other coin that's faster, less volatile, where you know, Bitcoin is kind of like, it's like patient zero, it's a test coin. It's the original one that came out, people were able to play around with it to test it out. And we don't really think it'll go away because it was the OG and a lot of people have a lot invested in it. But that isn't to say there won't be a better coin in the future. And there's a lot in the works. So within the next decade, we're going to see new things surfacing. And if that confused, if all this confused you, which it probably did, just rewatch it, re-listen to it, do your own research, read the Wikipedia article, really helpful. And just stick with it. Jesus. There are a lot of cool YouTube videos on it. Check out blockchaindemo.io, which gives you, which lets you play around with the blockchain. And I think they link you to resources too. I'm not sure. But uh, any any last words from you, Zach, before we wrap this up today? We went a bit over today. That's okay. Uh, we started we started a little late, so. Um, I think that one day. I don't, I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime, but one day, hopefully, we'll shift to a cryptocurrency um, that's decentralized. Um, also, like, if the government doesn't like it, why don't they just, like, if a small company was able to take over 40%, the government could very well just 
take over and then shut it down. You know what I'm saying? Oh, well, here's the thing. They can't, because if I establish a company and I only take Bitcoin as payment, I'm not technically a company based on current laws. They can't do shit about it. They can't look at They can't, because the reason governments figure out your business is through taxes, them watching you spend money and you earn money while looking at your income, et cetera. But with something like you just taking Bitcoin, they have no way of verifying your business. No, no, I mean like the government takes over, like it does a 51% attack, it just shuts it down. Oh, well, that's possible for sure. But that's why you need a much more widespread network. And if one government tries to take it over, other governments are probably going to try to take it over too. Unless the governments are working together, it creates an issue on that end. Do you think Bitcoin was a failure? Or... Like, it's not doing what we're supposed to be doing it. Or I'd argue it was a huge success. I mean... Because it gets, it gets people thinking about it. And in terms it of gets it's people like, creating alternatives. It gets people thinking of better solutions. It okay. spurred discussion and it spurred others to work on. And I think that's a huge success. Amazing. Yeah, the technology that comes out of it is very important. One day, maybe we'll have a Bitcoin Yeah, I definitely two. think we'll see it in our lifetime, Zag. Yeah. Where it becomes adoption, for sure. I honestly think we'd see it in the next decade. Again, the sooner we get away from exchanging it for U.S. dollars and pinning it to something like that, the sooner we're going to... How do you do that, though? More people just need to start accepting strictly Bitcoin for their goods and services. Not strictly, but they need to. People need to start taking in Bitcoin as a form of income. In more, in the, and at this point, we honestly had so many exchanges that a lot of people already own Bitcoin. People who have Bitcoin need to find a way to distribute it. And the only way they're gonna do that is if businesses accept, start accepting Bitcoin. Yeah, because the only you way is like, it's like trading it for U.S. dollars right now. Yeah, how how money? Right? No, 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 no. Instead of trading it for dollars, you trade it for goods and services. Yeah, no, I mean Merchandisers, like the, the only way right now is to like trade it for U.S. dollars to get your money's worth. Oh yeah, to get your money's yeah, you worth. Like yeah, because a lot of yeah, because again, like I said, money only has value if people are willing to give it value. You give money the value. When you choose to trade, when you choose to make a transaction, that's when your money gets value. I recommend, if, if you found this interesting, I recommend you check out the Economic Machine Made Simple by Ray Dalio. It's a 30-minute YouTube video. Yeah, I'll watch that. It really teaches you how the economy functions. And once you watch that video, combined with your newfound knowledge of Bitcoin and blockchain, now, you'll be able to see why it's important that it can't be pegged to a dollar for it to create its own decentralized economy. Because that's like saying, and so every time you spend a US dollar, you trade it in for euros instead. And you map the US dollar strictly based on euros. Kind of gets into Forex trading at that point. I guess Bitcoin is more like Forex than unstable Forex than stock. But anyway. I digress. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Very exciting stuff. Especially on the National Treasure when we find the Winklevosses hidden Bitcoin. <laughs> Imagine they set up a scavenger hunt. Have you read the book 39 Clues? I haven't. Is that no, like a... Book. There's these families, these ancient families, and one of the big mama with all the money dies and she sets the families on a scavenger hunt they're all trying to kill each other to get money. What the hell? <laughs> what the fuck? So the Winklevosses can do something like that. It's fucking absurd. Mm-hmm. Well, with all that said, everyone, hopefully you have new knowledge now. As always, thanks for watching and listening.
if you enjoyed that or if you have any more questions about it, feel free to let us know on Instagram at Sakinakasho. If you're watching live right now, up there you can see Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all of the Sakinakasho. And if you're listening to us, come check us out live one day at 9 a.m. Uh, every Sunday through Monday or <laughs> Sunday through Friday at the Zach Show on YouTube or, again, all those podcast platforms I told you about. And we will be there. And have a good day. Buy our coin. Zach and Akash Bitcoin. Yeah, buy Zach and Akash coin. We're going <laughs> to make that a thing. Hell no. Oh, also. Dogecoin? Um, Friday, we're going to have a guest, one of our professors from UConn. I don't know what we're talking about yet. Hmm? I don't know what we're talking about yet. Oh, we're going to be talking partially about block, blockchain stuff. Okay, okay. So we're going to be talking about a lot of things, but watch this episode should set you up to understand more in that episode. David's working on some cool stuff on the blockchain. Uh, that'll be a fun episode. And tomorrow is going to be something, as always, on your career in business, but it's TBD. Second, I need to decide what it's going to be. So we'll keep you updated. Again, to get all the updates a bit earlier than the show starts, follow us at the Zach and Akash show on Instagram. Mm-hmm. That being said, we will see you tomorrow at 9 a.m. or whenever you choose to listen to tomorrow's episode. Bye. It's, been, it's been real, everyone. <laughs>